Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast, Steve English and Gordon Ritchie. And uh, Gordo, we're just after seeing possibly the most pivotal round of the World SBK Championship this weekend at Laguna Seca. We've been out in California and this is the turning point of the championship. Oh, I mean, we've had a few indications recently, but this is definitely the three no scores completely from Batista and Jonathan only one result from being perfect in, in terms of collecting points. Massive swing of points in one round. Um, which was already heading in Jonathan's direction. But this is, I've never quite been a race like this in 21 years. I've never quite, when Batista went out of that final race, I just looked around the media centre to think, am I actually seeing this? Or, you know, and everybody's just sitting sort of staring at TVs, not knowing what to think. It, pivotal is really the word. It's really difficult to see how, uh, even with a two-month break, someone comes back from what's happened in 81 points, even in a three-race format. So there's 12 races left, if I can do my arithmetic, which isn't guaranteed. Um, but that's, there's still a lot of races left, but, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do because they've obviously had a problem they can't fix. Yeah, and that's the one thing about it, because we've seen Bautista have numerous crashes in recent rounds, but this weekend we saw him have one unforced error, one racing incident with Top Rack Razgadiabu, and then the injury from that, where he banged up his shoulder, ruling him out for getting back in the Super Bowl race after it was red flagged, and then also basically having to pull out of the race too. Yeah, and that's another uh, development. Um, luck is part of racing, and Alvaro may have had two good races after the first one, but he had a tangle with someone else, and that injury ended up stopping him even trying to get any more points about even just saying, okay, I'll need something from this weekend and finishing fifth and riding the most steadily. But I think the thing for them is that they don't understand why. Alvaro's been quite clear on that, that they don't get why they're crashing, why he's crashing. Um, and then that leaves a lot of uh, space for speculation. Is it the bike? Is it him? Is it something about a particular temperature range? They, if they don't know, uh, how's anybody else supposed to know? Um, and if I think... There's been so many incidents now. If they did know what the problem was, they would have found some kind of band-aid fix, if not a more permanent one, which they might be able to do in the summer break. It was a strange one as well, because this was a weekend where we saw Chaz Davis make a big step forward. He had two podiums and a race win. And this was the weekend where we see Bautista make this massive step back. But whenever I was talking to some of the riders yesterday, they all said the same thing about the Super Bowl crash with Top Rack, that... Top Rack just sort of held his normal line, did nothing unusual, but Bautista wasn't going to make that turn one anyway. He'd gone in super deep, he was sideways, he just wasn't in control at that stage. I think he basically just missed his apex because it's such a difficult corner, that first one when you're coming in, um, first lap, etc. Um, he did seem to be quite far away from the white line in the inside. It's a kind of double left, that corner. It's a strange, strange corner. The approach of it, the going round it, is actually a kind of double left. Um, and of course, you then have to negotiate the first one, the middle, and then go back in for the second one. And that's what caught both of them out. Um, but yes, I think, uh, to me, it's a racing incident. There's nobody to blame. Um, we've seen incidents like that in the past at that same corner. Uh, it is one of those things where you're, you're pointing one direction, you have to heel away over to the left to get to the right direction along with everybody else. And I think Alvaro was a little bit out from the apex and I think Top Rack just, when he came in, he was more worried about the rider closest to him to avoid him and then suddenly the two came together. I think it's a racing accident, although Batista, I think, was uh, he thought it was Top Rack's uh, basically his fault. Yeah, for for me, it was 100% racing incident. It's turn one, two into, two into one doesn't I go. So I think it's just one of those things. And as I say, it's not the first time it's happened there. It's not, it's not going to be the last either. Yeah. Unfortunately for Alvaro, it's just a continuation on the bad run of luck that he's had as much as anything else. But uh, it did have all the hallmarks of this being the weekend where his championship was gone. But coming into the weekend, he was already trying to push some of the pressure on Jonathan Ray. He was already saying before the weekend, he said in some of his interviews, nobody expected me to come in and win as a rookie. No one expected me to win the world championship. So really, I'm playing with house money at this stage. And then as the weekend wore on after the crash in race one, he then said to me that uh, oh, the championship is done. Now I can just try and focus on winning races. Yes, I mean, that was the, even on Saturday, he was saying that kind of thing. And on Sunday, he double underlined it, that he thinks that's it now. They, they, they won't have enough races to come back. Um, it's going to be more difficult for them. Uh, it's a big points gap, especially when you've got somebody that's so used to winning like Jonathan. Now he's started. He's on a run. And remember what happened last year. 
he just went away. So that Alvaro and his guys will be looking at it thinking, you know, this. He, he, and I think we're now at the stage uh, where pretty much Jonathan can just follow Alvaro home if he needs to. Now, maybe that's not going to happen because we've got the new dynamic of Chaz. If Chaz has really found a breakthrough, then he could be the guy in the middle taking points off Jonathan. It's all possible. So I don't think we're done, but Alvaro seems to think he's done. Uh, but again, that might just be gamesmanship. But if I was him, I wouldn't be very happy where I am in the championship. If you were Ducati, you'd probably be pretty happy with where you are at the negotiating table with him at least. Yes. Yes, and we've now definitely started that round of uh, who goes where, who stays. Um, I think Alvaro's position in terms of any demands he might want to take have re- has really diminished even over the last two rounds. Uh, maybe they should have got that done earlier. Uh, with hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, but yeah, I think each of those guys are looking at each other thinking this wasn't the guarantee that the season started with 14, I think, race wins so far. Incredible. Now, they're in a very different landscape with each other. I think Ducati are saying, well, we don't need to either pay this guy or guarantee him this or whatever. And Alvaro's thinking, well, this bike keeps throwing me off. I, you know, To him, he must be thinking, well, I don't think I'm doing anything too wrong. So, and there are other bikes out there that can win. Maybe he's thinking that way. I think it works. Well, obviously, he wants to stay there. I think it's obviously they want to keep him. It's just the deal now is going to, going to be more difficult. And it was supposed to be done here, eh? It was yeah, supposed to be finished. We were told in Hareth that uh, Laguna was going to be the announcement date. This is where everything was going to be sorted. And obviously for Bautista, we don't know the full details of his contract, but all the rumours around the paddock are that he's on very low wage and very big bonuses. Yes, he wants to bring his wages up quite a bit. Ducati want to bring his bonuses down. But now it might well be a case of Ducati being able to say, we can keep the base quite low. And if you want to be on a bike that can win races, we'll just keep your keep your bonuses relatively in check as well. Yes, and the fact now that Chaz has won a race, if it was only Bautista, that's another dynamic in the, the contract negotiations. Now that Chaz has won one and didn't think he was going to, but he did look very good. He did definitely made a breakthrough this weekend and he's always said all year, I, I need to be able to make a breakthrough. Chaz is taking a championship to Jonathan in the years when, the, when things were more even between the two machine setups and packages. So that's another chip bargaining chip that Ducati's got saying well Chaz is winning now as well it's not just you that the story all year the dynamic all year has been oh uh, it's only Alvaro that's winning it's all down to Alvaro well now that has for the first time admittedly the first time and a track that Chaz really likes uh, been a change and it was interesting looking at Chaz this weekend because obviously everyone saw the footage on TV after he won the race. You could see the relief, you could hear the screams from him. But probably the biggest thing this weekend was that he wasn't happy with the bike on Friday and was still quick. And then they made a step forward, given the right feeling with the bike. And then suddenly he had still the same speed, but a lot more confidence. Yeah, it's amazing. When I spoke to him on Friday, it was as if FP1 was the biggest disaster in history and he was sixth. He's been a lot worse than that this year. Um and then the change after FP2 was very significant and allowed Chaz to, to ride the way he wants, which is very important. Riders have all got their own style. He's been saying it for a long time. And he's kind of right. Um, you, you can't really change a style. So what they found for FP2 and then on all through weekend was something that obviously works for Chaz. They, he knows he's got a lot of things to do, but it seems to be smaller things now. And that's going to be really interesting for what happens in the rest of the season for him. Ducati's got the Portimao test in the middle of August. They've also got a test lined up for Magni Cor to be able to get Bautista up to speed at the French track before that round. But uh, they're definitely putting in all their resources. But just over the last few while, they've now come up against that brick wall that everyone's come up against over the last few years. And that's just Jonathan Ray and Kawasaki finding a way to always just get the job done. Yes, as a rounded package, there's probably still the best bike in the paddock as a complete package. Uh, the Ducati is obviously more powerful, but the, the Kawasaki works. They've found a way to make the new bike work better than the old bike. It's got a few more revs in last year because it was designed into the new homologation for 2019. Um, and that team, I've got the thing that you cannot buy, and that's experience and working together. It's a pretty stable team. They've had the odd change of personnel. But basically, you look around that garage, it's all the same people that were there from the day and minute that Provec took over doing the, the KRT team. Um, and, you know, as you say, it's a it's a barrier that people have come up against. No one, and it's very important to say this, I don't think anybody at all thought we would be in this situation we're in now, despite all that stuff from Kawasaki. 
at the beginning of the season, it's the same people at the beginning of the season. What they've found now is the way to make the bite work all year. Jonathan's confidence is there, and it's the biggest under, uh, un, least understood aspect of motorcycle racing is rider confidence, bike team, everything. If he goes into that garage and thinks, I feel good today, the bike's doing what I want, I can put it where I want, you can make lap time and you can make races. And Jonathan is peerless racer in this paddock. I mean, he's the way he thinks through races, the way he's able to process things when other riders are riding absolutely on the limit and struggling. The bike might be struggling, things might be going wrong. Jonathan seems to be able to find a way to think his way out of it and still get a result and keep the lap time, even if the tyres change and things. He's, he's, he, just, he, he didn't like his front grip in the final race yesterday. They made a small change and it took his front away. But he still managed to finish second and... You know, relatively safely. Once he's had a couple of frights, he carried on. Is uh, that's the green mean machine as it's been for a few years? And look at what they've done in three races. As soon as they got a chance, all that experience and all the, the capabilities of the bike and the rider just they've gone on to do what they've done. Yeah, because we've seen the difference that that experience makes. With you look at Bautista and some of the crashes he's had. Obviously, some of them are just from inexperience. Whether it's the Pirelli tires. Whether it's racing in the West, he hasn't been to Donington for a long time. Talking to some of the riders, they all said that the crash that Bautista had at Donington, we saw a few other riders caught out at the same corner. It's one of those dangerous sections where the the water just sort of floods down onto that uh, outside line and it's easy to catch anyone else. But if you've got that bit of experience, you know, to be a little bit easier through there. For Bautista, he's having to learn all these lessons the hard way. Yes, and it is the hard way. Um Donington was a particular problem, I think, because there's aspects, there's certain parts of the track in Donington that are just slippery than others, even two feet away. Uh, it's a it's a weird place at the best of time, especially with the rain. Um, Batista's experience is vast because he's been in GP for that length of time. It was an advantage to him when he brought a really high-power V4 into the World Superbike paddock. Um, but I think that advantage is now finished. You know, I think he's it, it's... Maybe there's too much MotoGP in that bike for World Superbike and these tyres and the, the the tracks we go to and you need to know more than, than Alvaro's got. Nick, he actually spoke this weekend about working for next year. So obviously he does think he's going to stay with Ducati and he's saying as well as the championship might be done now, he needs to gain experience for next year. And I think we will see a much more potent Ducati effort next year just because everybody if Batista and Chaz stay then obviously they're going to have uh, that experience of that bike in, in this year and uh, for Kawasaki though you look at the steps they've made through the course of this season they were pulling the hair, hair out at the start of the year when they looked at the advantage that the Ducati had we saw it even this weekend that the top speed advantage and the power advantage from the Ducati is still there there was one shot of on board from Jonathan looking forward to Chaz Davis and even in the slipstream you could see Davis just gap 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 so the Ducati still has that advantage but Kawasaki's found a way to at least put some pressure on Ducati by just having that uh, relentless consistency from Jonathan yes and the package is good enough to get the best (laughs) result possible and consistent enough to let him do it every single time uh, there will be tracks this year where the, the Ducatis are just going to be faster than Kawasaki. We can look at Lucille with a huge big straight. Argentina's got a huge straight. There will be places where we will see the same kind of uh, bike advantage, disadvantage that we saw earlier in the season. But there's also Portimao. Um, that could be... The track's going to make a lot of difference in the run-in. I think I'll be surprised... Uh, Unless there's more crashes, I'll be surprised if Jonathan just tracked us away for points. I think there's going to be points gained and lost. And certainly Jonathan was at great pains this weekend to say we had to leave here with some kind of gap because even though there's a couple of good tracks coming up for him, the run into the end of the season was maybe going to be more of an advantage for Ducati. So they know that already. So I think that gap might close by the end of the year just because of the, the differences in the machines. But who knows? that All through the year we thought, well, this is what's happening. Then something changes and this is happening. And two rounds ago, we wouldn't have seen this happen where we are now. No way in the points. Um, and Chaz didn't look like winning for ages and he won here on Sunday as well. So thankfully, there's still lots of uh, unpredictability in World Superbike now uh, because partly because of new bikes and partly because of new riders. It's 142 points has been the swing and 
four rounds ago, we definitely wouldn't have thought Bautista was a man under pressure when he had that crash in Jerez, but really the pressure's just ramped up all the way. And it's reminiscent to a couple of other seasons, Gordo, that you've been in the paddock to be able to see Ben Spees winning his championship, Colin Edwards winning his second championship. And there's a lot of similarities that we've seen through the course of this year so far. Yes, um, but this comeback is very, very different from any other ones I've seen before. One, it started earlier, um, but it's also been much more comprehensive. And the other guy, normally what's happened in the past is that people have eased up, Gintoy coming back towards Tom bit by bit by bit. This has been a really big step change. Um, So that makes it kind of unique. I don't know whether that makes it more impressive or less impressive on the, the red bike side. I don't know, but the year that Edwards won, for example, there was really only one big mistake that, that Bayless made, and that was enough to allow uh, Colin to get into that position he was in where he won that amazing finale in, in Imola. Um, but this is a different thing. This is this is like schizophrenic. One part of the first part of the season, this part of the season, it's just flipped over completely. Um, yeah, it, it, I've never seen anybody drain points as much as this. I mean, who leaves a three-round champion three three race round with no points whatsoever I mean who who does that it's incredible the the, the, the bad luck came this weekend is whatever else because you wouldn't get three races in the same place where you don't score a point when there's like 16 and 17 riders finishing and it's been it's been a strange one as well because it's it's very similar to if you look at some of the years where Casey Stoner was on the Ducati and MotoGP really strong fastest rider out there leading a load of races, but always trying to win races rather than thinking of the long term, thinking of the yeah, championship. It's it's win races to win the championship. And Bautista looks like he's just completely unable to settle for not winning. Yes, I don't really understand. Uh, I mean, we don't know him. I don't know him because uh, he's, he's, this is his first year in this paddock and I specialise in this paddock. So I don't really know the guy. I don't know what makes him tick. Uh, but... I would not have been diving up the inside of Chaz Davies in the race where he fell off in turn five, just about to get up the hill. I, w- I just wouldn't have been on that line in the inside. Uh, after five laps with Jonathan just in front, there were three, there were three round the group and could, probably could have been to the end if he'd played it properly. And it, I just don't understand why he went in. But he said when he came in he wasn't pushing, etc. But he just apparently just done the fastest lap. You know, so uh, it's, it's odd. I would be... Any, I think anybody would be just sitting saying, okay, it's not going my way, calm, just calm. If he was in fifth place in toiling, you can understand them crashing, trying to get to the leaders, but sitting right behind them, I, I don't understand that. I just don't understand why the, the, the necessity to try something like that. Yeah, he just broken the lap record and then it looked like he just got a really good run on Chaz down into turn five, but you don't see many moves into five. There's ripples on the track there. It's actually quite a narrow entry line. And it's another one of those crashes where a more experienced rider around Laguna would know that you have to make that move earlier. Otherwise, you just have to just live to fight another day, try and get your get your drive up towards the corkscrew and make the move there. Yeah, and also when you look to the video again, I watched the video late last night after having seen it at the time, and he's too far back. He's also just too far back. He's not like he was right in his slipstream. thought, oh, got a wee chance here. He, he came from a, way, a long way back. It just seemed odd. It, it, to me, it just seemed an odd thing to happen at that time. And the line he was on, he was just too far on the inside to, to go then go up that hill. I just, uh, yeah, I was mystified by that more than anything else. You know, some of his crashes have obviously just been something's happened, but uh, just a little one degree too much, whatever, but not there. Yeah, we saw it a little bit uh, similar with Ray and Davis in race two, where Ray made his attempted move down into five and we saw just how difficult it is to actually get the bike pulled up and still be able to hold on to that position when you get down the inside. He just ran wide, Chaz Davis able to pick him off pretty easily. And even if Bautista had been able to make the corner, it would have just been a situation like that. Yes, and I mean, there's so many different cameras operating into at the middle and out in Laguna. Almost every corner has got changes of camber, changes of elevation. There's always somebody to catch you out. So there's only a few passing places that are kind of reliable because all the force of physics start pushing you too wide when you try and overtake it in some places. How many times have you seen people go for a pass in turn one after the going into that slow hairpin and running wide, running wide, and the pissing nipping in in the second part of the corner? Five's not a, an obvious place unless you've got a completely obvious advantage in something, braking or electronics or something. And um, yeah, it's a strange, strange place to try and go by. 
So we get to the halfway stage, well, we're past the halfway stage of the year. We get to the summer break. So yes. in natural terms, we're at the halfway stage yes. this season. Really, This is where we get a couple of months off. There's the Portimao test. As I said, Ducati are planning a Magni Core test as well. I think Tenkade Yamaha are planning a couple of test days at Aston as well. But when we look at the championship as a whole now, we've seen a really strange year, ups and downs at the top of the standings. Jonathan Ray's been consistent all the way through and that's been what's gotten him to the top of the standings. Bautista's made his mistakes. But in that fight for third, we've seen lots of riders make mistakes. Lots of riders have some bad luck. But suddenly we've got, now with Chaz Davis as a race winner, we've got five or six riders all fighting for that third in the championship. Yeah, the three riders fight for third immediately now are covered by just not very much. I think it's like 30 or seven points. Um, but even then behind, you've got Top Racket and, and Chaz. That is going to be fantastic for the rest of the year. It would be ideal for that fight to be for the championship itself, to be the to for the top seven to be within 35 points. But that third place fight is just going to go all the way, I think. I don't see anybody taking off in the next few days. Maybe Chaz, if, if this is really such a breakthrough and he can tame that bike. Um, but that that's always been... Even in the years when Jonas has been dominating, that fight for second or third, third to fourth, has has been very, very uh, uh, engaging in this championship. But because it's not for the win, people kind of miss it. And that's understandable. They're always looking at the Hollywood thing, the, the top one. But um, that's going to be a great fight, and at least five, you know, at least five of them are going to be in there. Do you think Chaz has made that uh, step? He's, he said all year when he finds a setup he can work with. The results will come and he labours the point he's a very very straight ahead guy when he comes to talking about the bike and realities Chaz he's not one of these guys that likes to say oh if and when but he really did seem settled on Sunday afternoon uh, with the setup they made he, when he when he got that in FP2 he was able to run with it all weekend yes he likes Laguna but it's also an incredibly difficult track and the other thing we haven't touched on yet is that maybe Laguna when you've got 20 or whatever at horsepower advantage over somebody else, it's even more difficult for you than the other guy. Maybe you want 20 less at Laguna. Maybe it'd be more handy. Maybe it would stress the chassis and the tyres and the rider less if you didn't have that extra push out of corners, which a lot of which are bumpy and off camber and, and followed by an immediate change of direction. Maybe more power is more difficult. So I think, it, it, in a way, we'll find out in the next races, but in a way, if Chaz was able to make that breakthrough here, you have to take the fact that it's one of his favourite tracks, but on the other side, you have to look at it as such a difficult, tricky track. And the more powerful the bike it is, I think, the more difficult it would be here. So I'm saying yes. I think Chaz will do it. Now, the Ducati might be a tricky bike in general for setup, and it might change a lot track to track. But when Alvaro found that window, they didn't move very far out of it, and won 14 races. They, as soon as they moved away from it, it was like, oh, right, back in again. So for 14 races, it was the right setup. If Chaz gets even half, you know, 50% percentage, then he could be winning another three, four races, five races before the end of the year. Yeah, I think it's been interesting that all the way through the season, Chaz has said you can't really find a base setting with this bike, particularly with the window that they were trying to operate in, and that he had to go circuit to circuit and try and find something every weekend. He was talking about maybe for next year it'll be a lot easier because we'll start with the base for this circuit. Whereas now, if he's able to actually have made that step, suddenly he gets very dangerous in that fight for third. And it shows how quickly it can turn around with pretty much just one good weekend. Davis is 36 points off third in the championship. Yeah, and I think that is Chaz. He's, he's such an analytical guy. He's such a kind of feel guy. Uh, he wants a bike to be a certain way. Um, he's always said you can't change a style. You have to bring the bike to match your style. And maybe he's been proved right this weekend. The rest of the year will determine whether uh, he's, he's they've got a set up that is actually transferable, which is the other thing, for example, somebody like the Kawasaki's got. It seems to work everywhere. It may not be the best bike that weekend, but when you get that with a combination of Jonathan, it becomes a winning bike that weekend because it's enough. It might not be too much, but it's enough. And everything else, the, the setup, the better setup the other guy, the better tyre choices, the better work before you actually sit on the, the start line ready to race has been a difference for years for Jonathan and if Chaz can Chaz finds a happy place anything's possible for him and then the other riders in that fight for third Top Rack really looks like the guy that's made that massive step over the last few rounds when you talk to a lot of riders in the paddock and you ask them like who's who's the best who's the most talented who's yeah. 
the hardest rider to go up against. And when you ask in terms of just sheer talent, Top Rack's always a name up right up at the top of the list. Absolutely. And Jonathan Ray is the, the man the man in this championship now, has been for years, and he raves about Top Rack in terms of being a talent. Uh, Top Rack's talent is still quite raw. He's 22, which isn't young in MotoGP, but it's pretty young in World Superbike. Uh, he's had podiums at every race recently. Um, consistency has been found. The next step is to win a race, and that's always difficult. But for him, I think when he just, in the right weekend, he, he could win a race by 10 seconds. He's that good. When, he, when he's got the bike and he's happy, and obviously his crew chief Phil and him have worked together really well to make that bike fly. And he's still not quite got the same engine as Jonathan and Leon Haslam, which is, you know, you think, it, oh, it's all the same. And he's always saying, oh, our bikes are very similar, very similar. But they definitely don't have just that little bit of corner exit torque or power or something that the full factory guys have got because they've got a slightly different engine. Um, and Top Rack's much more of a front-end guy anyway. His current problem is spinning, coming out of corners. Whatever he does, the bike spins and so on. So that's another setup step they all have to make. But nobody better on him in the front end. Quite amazing. And he's big. He's quite a tall, he can't be a lightweight guy. So that's another disadvantage. He's carrying maybe 10 kilos more than most people, even though he's you know he's a very fit guy. Um, he's just tall. Um, Chaz style rather than Jonathan style, in terms of his build. Um, so again, that's probably not an advantage. If you're a motorbike racer, you want to be certainly under six foot and, uh, and as light as you can be and as strong as you can be. So that's the only thing that stopped us, Gordo. Uh, yeah, just sure. just the height. Just the height I want to add. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll go along with that, Steve. Let's, let's have a delusion for five seconds yeah. and then move on to reality that's again. <laughs> um, but for, for Top Rack, we've seen this massive step for him. We've seen him now linked with a lot of rides. We've seen him linked with Yamaha this weekend. Obviously, yeah. Keenan's made his deal in Turkey to basically make Yamaha his provider for any of his riding schools or any of the programs that he has. And then suddenly out of nowhere, there comes talk that Top Rack could be going to Yamaha as well. Yes, uh, there was a few. Uh, it was great this weekend because the rumours started to harden up a bit to reality instead of just people plucking ideas out there. Um, but the thing, the thing, the, the kind of problem that Kawasaki's got now is that they've got a good lineup with Jonathan is obviously the lead rider and then Leon. Um, very experienced guy they work together they really work together this weekend on Friday to help Leon to go faster and then that ends up in a better result for both of them on Sunday it's a very collaborative atmosphere in that team now which wasn't always the case so what do you do do you take top right this incredible talent but hasn't quite won a race yet and put him in the factory team or do you leave him in Pochetti for another year maybe give him a little bit even a little bit more help he's getting now do you say well we've got Jonathan and that's fine I think that's a difficult thing internally to Kawasaki. Never mind introduced another manufacturer or two into the equation. Um, Yamaha have got good riders, but again, at the moment, none of them are showing that, oh, he's going to be the next champ world champion level of performance. They've been there for a while. Uh, they're doing very well. Maybe their bikes aren't quite as rounded a package as Kawasaki yet, and certainly not as fast as the Ducati. So maybe they're just a little bit on the back foot. Um, I think it would be a gamble. And there's also the whole uh, 22-year-old rider thing. It's possible also to go down and go up. So changing everything might be difficult. Maybe if you're top right, you're thinking, you know, it's very nice to be linked with these people, but maybe I still want to stay on a Kawasaki because I know that. And he's ridden Kawasaki's all the way through from 600 Superstock onwards. So it's interesting. I think it's a, that'll be a very difficult decision for anybody. But if you were Yamaha... You would want to take them, but they've got five riders now who've all got a lot of potential. Uh, some world, you know, one world champion and uh, Melandry's leaving, so there's another seat next year. There might be two Tenkata bikes if everything works out for them financially. So they could have six places. Who's the lead rider? Who's Yamaha's lead rider? I don't know. I don't know if Yamaha know either. That's, that's the one thing about Yamaha. All the way through, we've seen Vandermark and Lowe's in particular over there three years together. You can't really choose much between them. No. They've consistently been able to finish the season roughly the same position as each other. Lots of races they're up against each other. You look at Melandry, he's come in, has a very disappointing year. Other than Phillip Island and Hareth, he's been a lot further back than he would have expected. Cortese's done well as a rookie. With Melandry retiring, you'd imagine Caracasudo's the man that's going to be 
pick to move up from Supersport. But nothing can really be taken for granted with it. For me, for Top Rack, it's quite good to have a bargaining chip on the table that says Yamaha's offered me yes. whatever they've offered me. Get Kawasaki to up that up their offer to him. And Keenan's obviously always quite keen to be able to negotiate quite strong. But for Top Rack, he's a Red Bull rider. Keenan's obviously been a Red Bull rider, wants to keep Top Rack in that stable. He's been a Pachetti rider, but Keenan's always been a big show rider as well. He knows the importance of being a factory rider. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Top Rack. For me, I think his best solution is to stay with Pachetti, stay with Phil as his crew chief, stay with that team for another year and then see where things are at the end of next year because he's on that verge of making that big step forward and as long as Pachetti get more and more support from Kawasaki if they get the exact same bikes as KRT then you can have the best of both worlds if you're top rack yes I mean that probably would be his best option but they do need to me they just need to take a little step more um, he maybe needs to win races before they're convinced to say okay we'll take him over there now Um Everybody presumed that this year he would do that, do this year, and then next year he'd go on the factory team. I'm not sure, not sure now if that's uh, going to be exactly what even Kawasaki want. They might be saying, well, he's only 22, give him another year. But I think they have to have a greater expectation next season. If they stay, there has to be a greater expectation. And as you say, how do you manage to achieve that expectation? Well, you give them even more support, full factory engine, whatever. That, that might be what the plan is. Maybe we still don't know. And of course, we haven't reached that magic time of the year, Japanese Christmas of the Suzuki 8 hour, which is where everything evolves around. It's like their new year, isn't it? As soon as the 8 hour's finished, that's the new year for the Japanese manufacturers to start planning. Next year's 8 hour, first of all, and World Superbike and and and. So we're about to come past that stage. And again, contract negotiations guaranteed there'll be some riders going to the 8 hour and signing bits, bits of paper there or making a deal there because they then get to, to face-to-face with a person that finally signs the checks. So, um, yeah, I think Top Rack is in a fantastic situation uh, of, of where he can go. I don't think the energy drink thing's quite as uh, profound, because remember, a certain Jonathan Ray had to, who through his entire career was a Red Bull guy through the Red Bull Rookie Series in the UK right through, and he was persuaded, had to change to... Another one, because it came with the, the, the package, it just had to be done. If they can find that for Jonathan, I'm sure there might be a way around some kind of accommodation can be done or persuasion to be done to to have to drop something. But hey, it's we don't know. There are some rumours going around that uh, Red Bull are going to stop having Red Bull athletes mm. and basically give their contracts with teams as well. So yeah. that could be another factor as well for Top Rack. But uh, we actually got a good indication this weekend as well of just how much of a knife edge riders can be on for their contract negotiations. Alex Lowe's after finishing in the top five yesterday came in and he was talking about next year and he was talking about in terms of, well, there was a clause in, in his contract that after Hareth, if he was the leading Yamaha, he was third in the world, that he would have been able to have a guaranteed contract for next year. That's what his option was because we're going to hear it an awful lot now in the next couple of months where it's like, oh, I've got this one plus one option. And we always just sort of assume that means that there's a team option or there's a rider option. And that can be by a certain date, the team are able to say, yeah, we want to keep you for next year. That contract's now locked in. Could be where the rider is able to do something similar. Or it could be in this kind of situation where Yamaha have a clause to be able to say, you have to have met certain performance obligations to be able to be guaranteed that contract. Yes, and it gets very complicated. Uh, People don't like to commit too long term. Um, and it's always interesting when there's a performance clause because if I were a team and a, a rider, I'd go, okay, well, he got knocked off by someone there and uh, that affected the next two races. So, but he would have been a top guy. I think it's difficult to to do that. It's, it's like uh, one mate championships to grow young riders. The guy that wins the championship might not actually be the best one. Um, so the contract thing is incredibly complicated. I mean, I, I don't know how many pages there are to nowadays, but it must be a lot when you introduce all these things and if you get moved on again, uh, you know, the financial side of racing is more difficult now not only is there less external sponsorship money around but people are getting a bit harder with it we touched on it earlier with Alvaro I mean that looks like everything's fantastic but they're still in some kind of negotiation with each other which is quite hard they're trying to save money he's trying to make money and it'll be exactly the same for every other contract I'm not a fan of one and one I think you give a rider two years security 
I think that's what you should do. Unless, and have a bottom layer of that, if you're outside the top 10, you're finished. And it's interesting as well, because this comes on the weekend where Chaz Davis, a writer, with that guaranteed contract for next year, finally makes that big step forward with his bike. Yeah. So for all that you can see through the course of a season, there's always the chance for things to turn around. And you mentioned it there about what happens if you get knocked off by another rider? And that's pretty much exactly what happened with Lowe's. He has that crash with Jonathan Ray in Hareth and then suddenly you go to the next race you're trying to make up for it and then you've had two crashes in a row and suddenly you go into the third race the weekend and you're trying to make up for everything. And then you go from having the potential of being able to be podium man in all three races to coming away with two or three points that weekend. And it swings so quickly. And obviously for Michael Vandermark, it swung very quickly as well because he had his big crash at Mizano, fractures his wrist, misses that weekend. So it's another one that while the championship has Lowe's third, Vandermark fourth and only a few points between them, both of those riders should have had another 40, 50 points quite easily. Yes. And again, I think that goes back to what we talked about earlier, who's Yamaha's lead rider. If you ask me tomorrow to sign Lowe's or Vandermark, I honestly couldn't tell you which one I prefer. I could sit and for half a day and think and, well, and convince myself it was Alex, and then I could go and sit for half a day and convince myself it was Vandermark. One of those guys has got to step forward and step up to be a guaranteed anything, whether if it, world champion, uh, the, the lead rider next year, the focus of attention. Um, it's a very that's a very difficult thing for those guys to 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 work out, but. I would feel quite aggrieved if I was uh, Alex, right, because of what happened to him and the timing of what happened to him. But that's life. The, you know, rules are rules. It's uh, You have to follow them. And if there's a clause in his contract that, that stopped him being a guaranteed guy, if that's what really happens, then there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to suck it up. And obviously Yamaha's got a new bike for next year. We saw it for the first time this weekend. And it's uh, hard to tell the difference between the old one and the new. There's a few technical things that will help for racing because there's so many things that have got to be stuck. Um, there's many, many more things that you just take off the road bike and you put on racing material, shocks and wheels and things. Um, so it's difficult to see if that's going to be enough. It's certainly not going to be the... We expect a mega Honda next year, even if it's still a more conventional non-V4 or whatever. Um, it does look like it's going to be a mega bike. The Yamaha is definitely evolution, not revolution. Um it might be, although the, the, it certainly seems to be when you look at piece by piece what they've done, the, where the injectors are, where the, the butterflies are, all these things tend towards racing. There's just going to be a better thing for people to work with on a on a, on a weekend, different uh, head, you know. There's lots of different, uh, lots of small upgrades on it, but it still looks very much like uh, this year's bike with a few racing mods because we're now racing stalkers more than we've done ever in the history of the championship but you can tune them in some ways and you've got to leave them alone in others um, so you have to build the right base bike to start with and Yamaha seem to have taken a step to fix some of the problems and, and the maybe tiny limitations I've got now but that isn't a that's not a V4 Ducati compared to the V-Twin not, not even well we don't know until we see it but it doesn't look on paper it just certainly doesn't look on paper as a big big change yeah and uh, you mentioned there about the Honda for next year and uh, myself and Jensen recorded a, a Suzuka 8 hour preview and uh, we talked a little bit about the steps the Honda have made at the 8 hours obviously this year was the first time we really saw it where an 8 hour bike was just brought across the world superbikes yes. pretty much no developments being done on that bike over the course of the year they've done some things to try and make it a little bit more adjustable to try and make it a bit more adaptable but that's a bike that was designed and developed around Bridgestone tyres using Pirellis this year it's been a super disappointing year compared to what people would have thought when HRC came in but uh, really really the whole story for that season was a case of trying to learn as much as possible to develop for next year and with a new eight hour bike maybe we'll be able to see some improvements come on stream once we get back after Portimao yeah that's the other thing there's going to be a lot of uh, good good Hondas at the uh, this year Leon was saying how fast they were at the last test he was at uh, how many of them and how fast that might come in for this year uh, we when he, when HRC came back and made the amalgamation with uh, two other teams uh, it looked great. I mean, we were really happy. It's a great thing. It's still a great thing for the championship. HRC back is HRC back. But it is a case of the kind of incredible disappearing Hondas. They've been incredibly unlucky with the injury 
to Leon. That's because he was quite obviously their one sort of result rider. Obviously, Keenari is there for liaison and development and experience and all those things in direct line speaking Japanese to the engineers. That is a lab rat team, it looks like, at the moment, but it does seem to be that, and partially just because of what's happened to Leon, they just, the results this year are just not something they're pushing. But it's impossible to tell because every time you request information or you want to talk to somebody, they're like, mm. it's, total, it's so far under the radar as a stealth team, they might as well just paint the things black. Because sometimes you forget they're there. I'm not being funny. If you didn't see people walking around and and Honda stuff, you just kind of forget they're there. And it was one bike, one one uh, HRC bike at the weekend, plus Del Bianco on the the private team. It's it's got to be a labrat team for next year. That's the only reason you would spend money uh, to do it. Is is it must be a fact finding exercise and a development towards something else. What are we doing wrong? What was wrong with this one before they move on to the other one? Camier doesn't have his deal sorted for next year yet, but the longer that he stays out injured, the more valuable he's pretty much become because they're able to see just how important he can be for that programme. But there are plenty of rumours that we could have four Hondas on the grid next year, expanding out to that. Uh, There's lots of rumours that they're talking to a lot of Grand Prix winners about coming across. Yes. to world SBK as well so it does look like they're trying to make those steps everything's predicated towards next year that you know I think that's the whole point of this this project it could be fantastic for Honda next year I can't imagine why they came back as HRC and telling people they're HRC and bringing as many engineers and so on back if it wasn't going to be full on next year uh, we expect a full assault from Honda but Honda are a peculiar company they do whatever they want. They they they'll, they'll dominate racing in one class and then not ride in it for twenty years. They're a strange company. You can never really tell what they're going to do. There are many many layers to the onion that is Honda, and if someone changes their mind, then they won't. But I think they're going to come back full on next year. We need it. It's important for when we've got uh, fewer manufacturers this year than we had last year. But those manufacturers that are on the rise are, are should be on the rise in the future are Honda and currently BMW. So those two those are two big, big names that you want in a manufacturer championship. So yeah, I think Honda will, will come with something pretty special next year. Yeah, and you mentioned BMW. We saw Tom Sykes on the podium again this weekend. That's three rounds on the bounce that he's at a podium and could easily have had another three or four in that run as well. But uh, for Sykes, he's been able to show what the BMW can do. Obviously, this weekend, Marcus Ryderberg is coming back, having been in hospital. He's had his tonsils out. He's had horrendous flu and lots of different ailments. But uh, for Ryderberger, he really looks like he's just hanging on by by his fingernails. Yeah, he's such a cool kid. He's a lovely guy. Um but maybe, and it's only a maybe, you never can tell it's racing. Things change. But at this point in time, it does look like he's reached a limit. He's Maybe his riding talent has a limit. Um, and he's at it now. Maybe he needs to have much cleaner seasons to let him develop thoroughly. Um, but yeah, there's, you couldn't make a greater contrast between the fortunes of uh, Tom and Marcus, who is the German guy in the German team. They're not going to be... There's no way he's going to be sidelined or not helped. But they are developing. It does seem to be that one of them will have a better engine than the other. They're spreading development through the team. So maybe we're being unfair on the guy. Sometimes he's got to try the experimental engine or the engine that they're not sure about before it ends up with Tom. Tom's used more engines this year than anybody, but most of them are still alive, i.e. they didn't break. They just found another spec, but that engine's now at lower power. And Tom was saying yesterday, I don't want those engines. So they're even talking about maybe sacrificing a grid spot and go starting from the back or going down the grid just to, to try another engine for next year because they're not fighting for a world championship. They, you know, they, they want to get results and so on, but maybe it's better to try another new engine this year to be ready for next year because you've got a limit of seven each over the whole year and prove it in real racing and real competition in 22 laps when Tom is a brilliant rider but he can end up in problems at the end of the race if the tyre's not right and so on he, he can drop quite heavily so maybe they need to get all that homework out of the way this year so they can start with a completely race ready winning package next year so I mean they even talking about that maybe he was joking but he, he said ah oh, maybe we can sacrifice and start the back grid to get something better with uh, Jonas Folger said that he would be interested in coming to World SBK now the first time he's really said that but uh, for Folger it looks like he's 
being able to sign his deal with Kiefer in Moto2. So it looks like he's going to stay in the MotoGP paddock, which opens up a door then for a non-German to come on to the BMW. And obviously for someone like Sean Muir, he'd be pretty interested in having Scott Redding on the bike. There's been a lot of rumours that Redding's been, or at least his management's been able to talk to three or four teams in the world SBK paddock. He's obviously doing really well in the British Championship at the minute. But... uh, Sean, last year he wants to have Laverty and Sykes on the bikes. He wants to have two British and Irish riders on it. So having two Brits on the bike in the form of Redding and Sykes with Grand Prix race winner Scott Redding and reigning potentially the reigning British Superbike champion. It could be quite an interesting lineup. If that were to come to pass, it would be amazing. And the German thing, well, if you're a BMW official uh, factory team, then the German always wins. If you win a race, the German always wins. It just happens to be the motorcycle. It doesn't have to be the rider. Um, and MotoGP is such a big draw for young rider talent. All the riders want to be there. Why wouldn't they? So it's difficult to persuade people of a standard to come and win here to come here. People want to stay in MotoGP. I, I would imagine they're all going to want to hang in there by the fingernails coming from BSB or another championship if you've got somebody like Redding would be great and even Redding's character I honestly have to say I don't really know the guy but it's obvious he's a character and that's definitely one of the things that worries about is a bit light on is those wacky characters we used to have in the supposed good old days in golden era of the sport when everybody just said what they thought and the devil tell you behind most um, so he would be a great fit the nationality thing Maybe we're just going to have a lot of British riders here because there's only going to be a couple or three of them going to get a chance at, at, in the big rides in GP at any one time. Um, so maybe we're going to have to have quite a lot of British riders here because uh, GP is full of Spanish and Italian guys and, and the best of every other nationality, generally. So something like Reading coming over would be fantastic. The, the nationality thing in Warriors Way was never a big deal. It's not, people, it's not like British riders get rides here or got rides here because they were British because Foggy led some wave, it was because they just couldn't get any MotoGP in any numbers. So that whole wave of them that came over from Jonathan and Crutchlow and Sykes and so on, um, they came to World Superbike and stayed there because the opportunities weren't there in MotoGP, even for somebody like Jonathan. So just before we finish off, Gordo, we mentioned Eugene Laverty there as well, and uh, he obviously had to ride through the pain barrier this week again, was able to qualify inside the top 10, get to the flag, and at least get himself back out there on a bike again and he's another rider that over the summer break he's going to have a lot of tough calls to try and make to see if he's able to get something sorted for next year he's been incredibly unlucky this year but people don't win as many races as he did still semi-recently um, without having an awful lot of talent and experience and everything else the, to me there's going to be if we if what we believe is true there will be no shortage of, of podium capable motorcycles next year uh, there could be six Yamahas next year he, I don't see any problem for Eugene as long as his fitness and his health is good. I think he, he'll be able to get a good ride next year, whatever it may be. Um, it's He's had such an unlucky season and pretty much not to do with him. I think he's just had too many technical issues, um, set-up issues, etc. And, and as a result, injuries. And that was nasty. I mean, that wrist injury he had in his right wrist was really, really nasty. That was a bad one. And multiple places that's not a good that is everything you do in a motorcycle ultimately is goes through your right wrist stopping and going you know you're breaking your, your throttle on the same hand and, and that's the one that's that's a mess with him so maybe he's not going to be 100% even to the end of the year he's got two months and he might be fine but he came back too early in Donington obviously and he still wasn't 100% at Laguna but now he's got six weeks till a test and eight weeks till racing He's got plenty of time to get back. But that these four races at the end of the year will probably be the most important ones of his career. Yeah, because if you look at the season so far, he's had technical problems in Phillip Island. They had an issue with the tyre warmers, went out, and I think the wheel was pretty much spinning around, or the tyre was spinning around on the rim for both races. Then you go to Thailand, you've got the brake failure. You've missed those races. You go to Aragon, you're on the pace, in the fight for the podium, have a crash, but you think, ah, don't worry about that. We're in the fight. It was worth having a go. And then suddenly you go to Assen, it's freezing cold, it's snowing, you're not able to get the most from the bike. And then you have that massive crash in Imola. So it really has been one thing after the other that could have turned very quickly into a really strong start to the season. And instead, it's been a really tough one. But uh, And it got worse, didn't it? It didn't even get better, it got worse. It hasn't been improving. Yeah. <laughs> it's got worse. 
But luckily for us, Gordo, things will improve because we're now on our summer holidays. What's your plan between now and the Portobello test? Uh, go home and fix a million things that I've been trying to fix all year. Uh, try and ride my motorbike more. Avoid the midges. Uh, avoid the rain. There's rain in Scotland? There's rain. This time of year? No, you wouldn't believe how much it rained the last time we went up north on bikes. But anyway, that's another story. It's the best place in the world to ride motorcycles when it's not raining. Um, but it's Scotland, so it rains quite a lot. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to catching up on a lot of things. I am going to the Portimao test, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> Glutton for punishment. We just finished the whole run of races and uh, I'm looking forward to that. But I think there'll be a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on there. But basically, I'm going home to take care of some aspects of business, enjoy my family life, walk my dog, uh, and enjoy the sunshine in Scotland. That one day of sunshine would be really good. It would be great. Yeah, it, it will be quite a rarity as well, Gordo, because I won't be at the Portimao test. Woof! <sighs> I'll, well, I survived, Steve. I know it'll be it'll be terrible, but uh, I got double booked to go to uh, Silverstone for the GP. It's on the same weekend, so I'll still be at a racetrack. So you know, at least there'll still be some similarities. But uh, yeah, it'd be strange not to be at the Portimao test. Yeah, it's. I think it's going to be great. It's such a great track, such a friendly place. Uh, it's one of those, kind of, because there's holiday resorts everywhere, it feels like a holiday, but I think there's going to be a lot of people working awful hard in those two days to make sure that the, the, the end of the season run-in is going to work for them. And you get so few testing chances now. You know, it's not like it used to be. You could go anywhere, you could go to Australia in January, not allowed. So these official tests are really important. And... There's no sandbagging. There's no kidding on. Everybody's got transponders. They're all going to see how fast they are. It's uh, it is like a mini race weekend. It's, it's a strange thing testing now because because everybody takes it seriously again. Um, it becomes quite intense. It's it's actually sometimes more difficult to speak to people with tests than it does at races. And in theory, it's all open. But I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. yeah. While the teams are working hard, no doubt you'll be working hard as well, Gordo. So thanks for joining us on this week's Paddock Pass podcast. Looking back at Laguna Seca, pleasure. And uh, thanks for listening to us on the Paddock Pass podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, follow us on Twitter at the Paddock Pass podcast, and you can follow us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast if you want to try and support us on the podcast we'll have a lot of unique content going out on the patreon page over the next couple of weeks as well so thanks for joining us and until the next time steve english and gordon ritchie signing off from california i think it's time to probably go get ourselves a nice cup of coffee gordo i think we need one keep us awake